Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Mark Reeves. Mark is the executive director of the TSSAA, a statewide governing organization over Tennessee high school sports. Mark and his team put on all of the high school playoff and championship games. Mark, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we get to your prediction on who will be crowned Blue Cross Bowl champions here in Chattanooga, let me ask, what is in your morning cup? Well, it just depends, Mike. You know, some days I'll rise early enough to go to the YMCA, do a little workout, and at that time it's going to be a spark. What's a spark? It's spark. It's kind of a vitamin drink from Advocare. Got a little bit of caffeine in it. But if I'm not doing that, then it's going to be coffee. It's going to be black coffee, no cream or sugar. Yeah, absolutely. But we've been fortunate to stumble on some coffee from a local coffee shop. I couldn't tell you the name of it, (laughs) Uh, but it is fantastic. And then actually, we were blessed to take a, a mission trip to Nicaragua last year. And my wife and kids were all able to go. And then they were able to go back this year. And we had about a year's worth of coffee that came back from Nicaragua. So it is just next level coffee. Yeah, it's really good. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I know you're in town on TSSAA business, but we've gotten to know each other through the Blue Cross Bowl. And wanted to have you in to, yes, talk about the Blue Cross Bowl, but you've also got an interesting story in terms of how you ended up the executive director of the TSSAA. And your story starts in Springdale, Tennessee. Why don't you talk a little bit about growing up in Springdale in high school? Yep. So Springfield. Um, That's okay. You know, (laughs) it's all right. (laughs) Springfield, about 30 miles north of Nashville. And, you know, just had the, the typical childhood, was blessed to grow up close to a bunch of other kids that were my age. And, you know, you'd ride the bus home and decide what you were going to play that day and whose yard you were going to meet in. And if it was basketball or football or tennis or whatever. Just um, small town America. Small town America. It was great. And in Springfield who had the uh, most famous resident, Homer Simpson, right? Yeah. (laughs) Not quite. Not not quite. quite, Not quite. But, uh, you know, we do have a a lot of historical tradition in high school football. We had actually a a coach by the name of Boyce Smith, who was the head football coach at Springfield from 1928 to 1972. Oh, my goodness. Um, He's in the National High School Hall of Fame, and it's just unbelievable. You know, when you go back and dig into that history – was in, featured in Ripley's Believe It or Not as a team that scored a point a minute back in the 1930s. So, wow. um, you know, grew up with that. My mom went to school there. She was a cheerleader, you know, in the 1950s through that era. And so, you know, high school sports and sports as a whole, yeah. as it's, it's been a culture in that community because a lot of folks are still around that, you know, play for Coach Smith. So everything stopped on Friday. Night. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, do I remember correctly, your parents were educators? Well, no, actually my wife's family, her mom and twin sister were both elementary school educators. And then they had a little brother who was a high school basketball coach and athletic director. But my wife's mom and aunt, they actually taught 34 years at the same elementary school. Both of them taught second grade. Both of them taught right side by side. They both retired the same day. (laughs) So her cousins, you know, one of them's a high school principal in Mayfield, Kentucky. Another one's a career and technical education teacher. I mean, it's just a family full of educators there. 
Well, and you were an athlete through high school, played a lot of different sports. Was your desire to go into coaching or? Not really. And, you know, I, I played a lot of sports, but I was a master of none. <laughs> you know? But that was not what was at the forefront of my mind. You know, I, when I came out of high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I'd gotten hurt a couple of times and had some physical therapy. And I remember going to those sessions and thinking, they've got a pretty yeah. good job. And so when I started college, I started as a pre-physical therapy, I guess you would say major. I, don't, I wouldn't say major at that time. You Taking only had those prerequisites. Prereqs, so, yeah. yeah. At that time, you only had to have about 60 hours of prereqs before you applied to PT school. Went to UT Knoxville my first year. I was a little bit overwhelmed. It was really big. I had a lot of friends at UT Martin and visited there. Loved it. So my first year at UT Martin, latter part of the year, you know, it's time to start applying for PT school. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure if that's what I wanted to do. And I just had a revelation. You know, I just think of it as a God moment. I, one night I was in a movie theater parking lot about to go to a movie and it just hit me. I think I might want to teach and coach. You know, really? I, I love science. I had two phenomenal science teachers, chemistry, physics and biology that were coaches of mine. I thought, you know what, I might want to do what Coach Jones, Coach Shoemaker did. So that was kind of how my path changed. At that point, I had taken the prereqs for pre-physical therapy, yeah. and so I didn't lose any hours. Because it applied to your science. Yeah, absolutely. What was the movie you were going to see? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. But I can literally visualize where I can was, you know, in that parking lot when I just had this this thought about maybe this is what I want to do. So being an educator was in your wife's background, but not in your family background. What, what did your parents do? My dad retired from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, worked there for over 40 years. My mom, she was a stay-at-home mom until I was in probably, I don't know, first or second grade, and she mm -hmm. started substitute teaching. And then she got a real estate license. Oh. So she ended up selling real estate for about 20 years and ran cry like, I guess, franchise mm -hmm. there in, in Springfield, the latter part of her career. So, so yeah. So the education thing really was something that through influential educators in your life that you said, you know what, that's kind of what I want to do. Absolutely. I just, you know, I started thinking about who, who did have the most influence in my life? Who did I admire the most, you know, outside of my own family? I, I was fortunate to, to have two wonderful parents, but when I started thinking about, you know, who really impacted and, and shaped me to, I guess, have that positive change that really gave me the catalyst to grow up myself. You know, I looked at it as my teachers and coaches in yeah. a lot of cases. So, Do you have a particular teacher or coach that you point back to? And Almost say, definitely. You know, I really have two. And Randy Thomas was my wrestling coach and just a, a legend in our neck of the woods. He was a, he was a Golden Gloves boxing champion. Him and his brother, his dad was a boxing instructor, just a rough and tumble guy. Yeah. He was a head football coach there, but started a wrestling program back in the late 70s. Didn't know anything about it, mm -hmm. but he was humble enough to ask for help and got some guys to come in and, and teach him some stuff. And then he just, he was such a relationship builder. He was able to assemble a, a group of kids from very diverse backgrounds. You know, we had kids who grew up in the country. We had kids who grew up in the city. We had kids that grew up in the projects and we all came together and we had a pretty good wrestling team. He had a great tradition. So just his ability to to encourage us to, mm -hmm. to be better than we thought we could be, he was incredible. And then Wayne Shoemaker, who was a guy that, man, he was incredible. He's my physics and chemistry teacher, Vietnam War veteran, Korean War veteran, been shot in combat four times, old school, phenomenal teacher, just 
incredible teacher in the classroom and no nonsense. And but he was the guy that would build relationships too. So that those two really stick out with me. Really heavy influence because I know when you did start teaching, you taught the sciences. Yeah. Which unfairly that coaches get tagged with, well, they can't teach science. I mean, yeah, that seems to be a stereotype. Absolutely. In physical science, it's a big part of sports too. Oh yeah. You can find science in everything. And that was yeah. one thing we used to do in our classroom, you know, look around you and can you see these principles of physics? Can you see these laws of motion? Can you see all this going on around you? And that was something that I enjoyed trying to get kids to, to open their eyes to. And, and I bet it's pretty, uh, satisfying when you see that click in someone's eyes that they go, oh, I get it. That's the best part about teaching. That's the best part about coaching. That's the best part about being a dad, you yeah. know, is when you're able to share something, particularly if it's something that you enjoy, and then watch whoever it is that you're trying to mentor that light come on. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible feeling. So you graduate from UT Martin, you get your teaching certificate, and you go teach at your alma mater. I did. And yeah, just going back to Coach Thomas, you know, at that time he was a head football coach and head wrestling coach. He'd been coaching, he was a head coach for wrestling for 20 some odd years and had been in that position for football for a number of years, had won a state championship just a few years prior. But he was ready to give one of them up and he was ready to give up the wrestling part of it if there was somebody who could come in. And I'd actually had looked at taking a position in West Tennessee. My wife's from West Tennessee. She still had a couple of years of college left at UT Martin. We were dating, but I went back to my alma mater, met with our principal, and they had a science position open. Coach Thomas wanted to step out of the wrestling gig, and there was an opportunity there that I wasn't going to have anywhere else. That had to be incredibly satisfying to not just go back to your alma mater, but to take over the wrestling coach job from the guy who was your coach, and you were only the second one, right? Yeah. Now, it was incredibly satisfying, but it was incredibly intimidating. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you had to live up to a lot. I was falling in the in the steps of a legend. And, uh, you know, I, I was telling this story not too terribly long ago. I was very fortunate to be accepted by some of those seniors that I had yeah. going into that first year. Because your age difference couldn't have been too much. Five years. You know, oh, wow. I was 23 years old. Head coach had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. And with a bunch of 18-year-old grown men, you know, in the room, who some of whom that I almost looked at as little brothers, yeah. you know, and, and some that I I knew from watching them grow up. But I think about some critical times during that first year where, you know, you have to lay some laws down. You have to say, this is what's acceptable. This is what's not. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I hope they buy in. Yeah. Because if they don't, I... <laughs> well, talk about that a little bit, because I think it's a good example of someone who gets promoted for the first time, where you go from having, being peers with everyone, then all of a sudden you're in charge. What are some of those moments that you've got to kind of separate that and say, look, I am the head coach. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, and, and that's a reality that you are going to run into as you move forward in your career. But I think what I've learned is you've, you've got to be yourself. You can't try to be someone else. And I can think of some times in which I may have tried to be Coach Thomas and that I wasn't Coach Thomas, you know, and you can, you know, when you're trying to be somebody that you're not. And, I and think, so does the team. Absolutely. And I think when you stumble during those times, that ought to be your wake up call. And I, that was a great experience for me. I had to realize that I had to be myself mm -hmm. and then people are either going to accept you as you are in whatever leadership role that you're in or they're not. And if they're not going to accept you, they can't be a part of your team. That's a great point. So how, how long did, were you coaching before you went and got your master's and 
moved on to assistant principal. Yeah. So I was teaching and coaching at Springfield, I guess, for seven or eight years. Got my master's, I want to say in 2001. My wife and I both did an accelerated program where we would go all day on a Saturday. This before there was, you know, a lot of online stuff. And we did that for, I think it was 15 months or something along those lines. And and we did that. Both of us did that really just for the pay raise more than anything. Yeah. We went into administration just to give ourselves another option. But to be honest with you, when I was taking all those courses, I'm thinking, I'll, I'll probably <laughs> never do this. You know, I, it's interesting work, but I, I love the you classroom. Like I love yeah. coaching. I love the classroom. So I didn't really think that was going to happen. And then unexpectedly, I want to say year six or seven, we had an assistant principal that left in the middle of the year. And at that time, I had my certification and another one of our assistant football coaches had his as well. And our principal came to both of us and just said, hey, would you consider after Christmas taking the position and y'all splitting it? Hmm. You do it halftime. And well, you know, I'll say yes. We'll see what happens. And you know, I enjoyed it. I missed the classroom too. It was a different setup. I was still able to coach to some degree and then was offered the position full-time the next year. And then then when, I guess it was the summer of 2004, I believe, I got called in at central office during the summer. I was told to be there at nine o'clock. Is that a good thing? Well, that's the thing. I didn't know what it was. His director of secondary education. He's like, hey, I want you to be in my office at nine o'clock. And yes, sir. What's going on? So I, I walk in there and he says, hey, Mark, we want you to go and be the assistant principal at East Robertson High School. If you say no, the director of schools will meet with you at two. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. You so know. you didn't have a two o'clock meeting, did you? I didn't have a two o'clock meeting. I, I went and met my wife and said, this is probably something they're going to tell me I have have to do. But that was a fork in the road because I was still coaching wrestling. And that meant that I wasn't going to be coaching wrestling anymore. They didn't have a wrestling team at East Robertson. So we had two small kids at the time, very young kids. And I had thought about this is taking up too much time anyway. And again, I think that was kind of a God thing. And that was the season of life I was in and spent two years at East Robertson. And it was wonderful. And how much did you miss the classroom and the coaching once you got into the administrative side? You know, you didn't have time to miss it a lot, <laughs> but point. I did to to some degree. I missed it every day, just the relationships, particularly when I went to East Robertson, because I was in a new school community. Cross Plains is right down the road. It's not very far, but it's a different community. Yeah. And so that was tough. And was and, there an adjustment going into that oh, new yeah. community? Oh, people yeah. Trying to figure you out. You trying to figure Absolutely. the landscape out. And it's two very different communities. And so, again, that's where I stumbled a few times where I tried to be the Springfield mark. <laughs> you know, we're going to handle things the way we did right. over here at this school, but this school's different and this is a different community. And I, I made some mistakes early on in trying to treat them like this community over here. I'm going to assume the comfort level at Springfield was where it was because you grew up there. You probably knew a lot of people there. And then all of a sudden you go to a new community. Granted, it's close, but... Talk a little bit about some of those stumbles and the lesson you learned from Yeah, so I tell you the one that comes to my mind right off the bat. The year before I went to East Robertson, we had had a few fights, you know, just like any high school, we had a few fights. But we we had a principal and a judge in town that we're going to crack down. We're not going (laughs) to fight at Springfield High School. And so the agreement was made that if you got into a fight, you were charged with disorderly conduct and you were going to go in front of the judge. And in a lot of cases, you might be in juvenile detention for two or three days. Kind of a scared straight thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so that stopped the fights. I bet it did. (laughs) And so I remember 
first fight we had at East Robertson, we had a big fight in the cafeteria and, you know, we break it up and I got the kids in, we're going to suspend them. And I went to the school resource officers, which were actually local policemen as opposed to sheriff's department. And I was like, Hey, I think we need to charge these kids with disorderly conduct. You know, we'll nip this in the butt. And he looked at me like I was crazy. It's like, we don't do this around here. Golly, we just call their parents and you know, suspend them for a day or two. Go ahead. But you're crazy. He looked at me like I was a nut. And it yeah. took a while to reestablish some credibility with those folks because I was trying to bring something to them that they weren't ready for, you know, and really didn't need. Well, and I think you can't tell someone that. Right. You have to learn that. You know, I know through my own experience and some of the other people I've spoken to when they take a new position in, in a new city, something like that, the culture can be different and the rule, not rules, but the acceptance can be different. And when you stumble like that, it, it is kind of a, okay, I'm not in Springfield anymore. Absolutely. Well, you just got, you got to take time to get to know the culture that you're in. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I think I've learned as I've gotten older and you enjoy it. I mean, if you take time to get to know people in the environment that you're in, that's time well spent. You yeah. may think that you're losing productivity, but no, not at all. When you're invested in getting to know people, that's time well spent. Well, so much is relationships. Absolutely. Because we all depend on each other to get something done. And if you're not going to take the time or invest the time into getting to know someone, you're going to get what you put into it. Absolutely. How do you get to the TSSAA? So interesting story. And I, I think I'm remembering this correctly. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure this is the way it went down. I was at the school at East Robertson at the time working on a master schedule or something over Christmas holidays. And there was an eligibility question that came to my attention. I remember we had a student athlete and there was an academic eligibility question. It came to me. I was there that day. I was by myself. And I, I said, well, I need to, I need to call TSSAA. Let me get on the website, find the phone number. I'd done that before. And so when I got on the website, there was a job posting. And the, the job posting was for an assistant executive director. And they had a short, you know, with this, what we're looking for, Somebody with a wrestling, football, soccer track were the sports that they were wanting some some background in. And I was thinking, well, wrestling's that's my thing. I've coached a little bit of football, played mm-hmm. a little football. I played soccer every year of my life until I got to high school. And then you had to choose whether you're going to play soccer or baseball. I played baseball, so I love soccer. And we didn't run track because we didn't have a, a track team. But I drove the track team to all their meets because I was the only <laughs> person with a, a school bus license, you know, certification. Uh-huh. And I love track meets. So I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So. I inquired about it that time. There were several weeks that went by. I didn't really seriously think about that or consider it until I had a chance meeting with, or actually my wife had a chance meeting with former assistant executive director's wife in the post office and mentioned to her, hey, do you know there's a position open as Mark looked into that? And I think that's what caused me to call and mm-hmm. find out a little bit more. But I didn't actually submit an application until I found out that we could stay within the state retirement system. At that time, I had 11 well, that years. Makes sense. Yeah. And so that's when it got serious to me. Like, hey, man, this might be a this might be a neat opportunity if I was fortunate enough to get it. And so in 2008, you went to the TSSAA? I did. Yep. 2008, June 2008 is when I started. And again, I had no idea what I was doing in the new environment, <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to learn something. And what was it that you were doing? Yep. So I was the sport administrator in charge of wrestling, soccer, girl soccer in the fall, boys soccer in the spring, track and field. And I was in charge of all coaches' education certifications, so continuing education for coaches. At that time, we had just assembled a sports medicine advisory committee. So I was the liaison for our staff for sports medicine issues. So, you know, 
a lot of things that I had no experience in specifically with officiating. That was the one thing when you're the sport administrator in charge of a sport, you are the rules interpreter for that sport. You're responsible for communicating all the rule changes to those who have been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years that are going to be, you know, mm-hmm. teaching their officials. So that was quite intimidating, but it was a great part of the job. So anything involved with that sport is filtering through you. That's right. And so, you know, the thing I learned pretty quickly is you got to surround yourself with the experts. Those relationships are vital or critical, particularly with those officials associations. We have 84, I think, officials associations around the state with all of our sports, with leadership within each one of those. And being able to identify who those leaders are and develop relationships with them, because without that group, we wouldn't have sports, you know, and that's true for the officials. That's true for the administrators at the school level. And so just learning how to build those relationships and spending that time was critical to being able to lead in that space. Can you do a brief explanation on the TWSAA? Not just what they do, but how they're constituted. And what I mean by that is because they really control all high school sports and what makes that possible? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And we'd love to share that because we're often misunderstood. I think most folks think that it's just a few people in an office in Hermes that are making all these rules that people are unhappy with. And that's not the case. The organization was established about 100 years ago when a number of member schools came together with the principals, principals and superintendents at a state conference and said, you know what? We've got some issues with high school sports. We've got kids that are coming home from World War One that are, you know, 22 years old playing high school football. That shouldn't be the case. We need to have wow, a common never set of rules. Of that. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the, the genesis of the organization. And so it's stayed true to that concept. The member schools, which we have nearly 500 high schools now, over 500 middle schools, those schools are the ones who write the rules. And then we have two governing bodies. We have a board of control and legislative council. Those are elected school administrators from across the state. You can kind of think of legislative districts Mm -hmm. and the same kind of thing. So you got 12 individuals in each group. The legislative council, that's the group that governs all the eligibility rules, transfer rules, the sports calendar when we start sports, when you can practice, when you can't. The Board of Control is the governing body that governs disciplinary action, classification, which probably gets as much attention as anything that we do. But those individuals, again, are elected by the schools and the schools propose all the rules that come through the organization. So when there's a rule or a disciplinary action that comes down from the TSSAA, it's not Mark Reeves sitting in his office saying, all right, you know, we're, we're going to find this guy or do that. It's really the schools themselves, and it's just your job and your your staff's job to implement those. That's correct. And for a number of those instances that are disciplinary in nature, it's spelled out what the penalty is. For example, you have a coach ejected or players that come onto the playing field. There are set fines and set penalties. But then there are some subjective decisions that have to be made. For example, if you got a big fight during the middle of a ball game or something like that, we don't say specifically what happens there. And at that point, the initial decision, you know, does come from me, but it is a collective decision. You know, I meet with our staff and we all collectively come up with what we feel like is the appropriate disciplinary action. But then that could be appealed to our board of control. And that's not uncommon. You know, if you don't agree or you think it's too harsh or you think we applied it wrong, then that decision can be thrown out and it goes to our full board for final analysis. 14 years before you get promoted to executive director. So you focused on wrestling and football through all those years? Yep. Well, wrestling and actually football, I guess year two or three, 
Richard McWhorter was a new hire to us. He was the athletic director for Clarksville, Montgomery County, came in as an assistant executive director. Richard took over football at that time. He was a football official for 27 years, so he was the expert. We yeah, figured out real sense. quick, we need, to, we need to shift some responsibilities. But I'd work closely with Richard in football. So, yeah, just those sports, football, wrestling, track and field, soccer were my primary areas of responsibility during that time, the coach's education, sports medicine. Then the executive director position comes available, Bernard retires. Did you put yourself forth for that like you did the other? Did you get a tap on the shoulder? <laughs> Got a tap on the shoulder. Actually, you know, we had a board meeting where Mr. Childress announced his retirement and the board decided that they didn't want to open it up for candidates and they just they nominated me and, and I, yeah, I was blown away. It was uh it was an incredible, very humbling moment. Yeah. Um I just just blessed beyond belief to, to have the opportunity. Well, and that's where I got to know you once you became executive director because of the Blue Cross Bowl. I think we were talking about it a little bit earlier this morning. This will be, I believe, the 24th year of it being the Blue Cross Bowl. Can you talk a little bit about the high school football championships and the role of Blue Cross and, and the TWSAA working together? Well, it's been an incredible relationship. Yeah. Blue Cross has really elevated that event, the exposure for that event, just the, the hype that goes with it, the production itself. You know, if you haven't been to a Blue Cross Bowl, the football state championships, it's something that people ought to check out. You know, when you have three state championship games on each day, three consecutive games. And to see the communities come together, to see the tailgating that goes along with yeah. it, you, you just see all of the what communities should be, you know, in celebrating the accomplishments of kids and coming together. Yeah, and, and when you think about it, the three days and three games, I mean, that's a lot of football. If you're a football fan and you're at least not watching it, yeah. you're missing out. You really are. You really are. And it can be quite the challenge when the weather gets bad. <laughs> You know, we, <laughs> well, you see, in Chattanooga, we don't have bad weather, Mark. That's why the game needs to we be here. We haven't yet. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll stay that way. I hope we don't jinx it. Yeah, sure. yeah. Well, you know, it's going to be basically the end of November, first couple of days of December. And I've, I know some meteorologists, and I've been told it's going to be a fabulous day. <laughs> hey, you, if you can make that happen, Mike, we've been out there in the, not in Chattanooga, yeah. but we've had the 34 degree thunder snows. You know, we've had some crazy times. But uh, actually, I guess in my, 15 years, 15 previous years, we've only had to delay a game or actually postpone a game to the following day one time. And that was probably five or six years ago. We were so fortunate because it's the very last game of the week. Ooh. And, you know, if that were to happen, game two oh, or day it puts two. everything off. Oh, man. And, you know, that could happen someday. Yeah. So we, we hope it doesn't. I want to talk a little bit about how high school sports are evolving. Years ago, the games would not have been on TV. Now they're on TV in every city in the state. The major markets carry the Blue Cross Bowl. We've got an affiliate network. But there's also now the streaming element. Can you talk a little bit about how TWSAA is utilizing streaming, not just for the playoffs, but the schools do throughout the year? Absolutely. So the growth of the NFHS network has been incredible, you know, over the last 10 years. And the I guess the genesis of that NFHS network, now you have, I believe it's 47 or 48 of our states who are members of that. And what that NFHS network has done is provided a platform for schools to be able to stream more and more events. You know, that agreement with the NFHS network has enabled schools to get $10,000 worth of free equipment. And what does NFHS stand for? 
National Federation of State High School Associations. And so a lot of corporate dollars that have come into that group, that entity that have provided that free equipment for schools. So now I've got a camera that can follow the action. I don't have to have somebody behind it. I've just got to set my timer and go and And now all of a sudden, I've got capabilities to stream, to develop revenue for the schools themselves by selling advertisement that they would not have otherwise had without that partnership. But to me, Mike, the biggest value of that is the information that's going to be there forever. The the games that you, these kids are going to be able to go back and watch. The archives. They're archived. You know, you just think and you go back, I'd give anything to be able to watch some of the competitions that, you know, I was a part of you know, 30 some odd years ago. And and these kids are going to be able to do that. And to me, that's the greatest value. And it's all digitized because I'm 61. In the 70s, when I played high school football, those films are deteriorating. Absolutely. They may make me look a little faster, but <laughs> that's right. I'm not going to do much else for, that's much right. else for me. That's right. So that's been an important partnership there too, in terms of the evolution of the sure. game. And, and the other thing where the game's evolved into is NIL. Can you talk a little bit about... Your position, the TSSAA's position on NIL? Yeah, so NIL falls under what we would refer to as our amateur rule. It's amateur rule. You're going to see similar language across all the states. And amateur rule essentially forbid student athletes from being paid for their services. And it was really intended so that they couldn't be paid to perform. You know, I couldn't get paid if I... I score 30 points in a basketball game. That's going to be a contract. I'm going to make $1,000 or anything like it was. It was set up to prevent pay for play. But the way the world has evolved, what we found ourselves looking at was, are we out of touch? You had your Supreme Court decision that basically said, you know, you cannot restrict somebody's opportunity to earn money based on their name, image, or likeness. But the difference for at the high school level is, Kids don't own the rights to their school or their school logos or, you know, their branding. So they shouldn't be able to make money on that. So we had a couple of situations that came down the pipe for us where our rule would make it illegal or make a kid ineligible if they were given lessons to a kid. Let's say it's a really good baseball player. I got a fifth grade, you know, neighbor that wants to make a few bucks or wants to pay me a few bucks to mm-hmm. give some hidden lessons. Well, the way our amateur rule read, that would have made that kid ineligible. We had to deal with a couple of situations like that. But then the one that was staring us in the face was social media. Yeah. We had a kid playing volleyball, a high school volleyball player in East Tennessee, and she had set up a clothing store basically online through her Instagram account. Well, she had a volleyball uniform on in front of her post or whatever. It wasn't affiliated with her high school, but she was making money on that. The way our rule used to read, that would have made her ineligible. And so we went to our membership and said, is that really how you want your rule interpreted? And they said overwhelmingly, no, that kid ought to be able to make that money and that kid ought to be able to get lessons. Well, okay, if we change our rule, understand that that opens the door for the NIL deals that yeah. you hear about. So if you do have a superstar that, you know, is 17, 18 years old, senior in high school, and Nike wants them to sign for, you know, $100,000 before they go to college, understand that they could do that. Yeah. But we also are able to set those parameters and write that rule so that they cannot represent their school because the schools don't want any part of that. So if she puts on her high school jersey, it's a violation. That's correct. Yeah. What I've found interesting about the NIL, it's not just about being a great athlete. It's about the number of followers you have on social media. 
hundred percent, you know, and when we were having those meetings with administrators, it was neat to hear some of the stories and scenarios that people were throwing out there. I had a coach that came up to me after one of those meetings. He's like, I'm loving to hear this conversation because my daughter, she's a pretty good player, but she made a video that went viral and it really didn't have anything to do with, you know, basketball or whatever sport was that she played. I can't remember what it was, but you know, the video got a million views. And so she started getting requests. She started getting opportunities to make a little bit of money and just based on that video, but because she was an athlete, the way the rule read, she couldn't, but now she can, as long as she's not representing that school. Boy, imagine all the great athletes over the years that are looking back going, man, what did we have? Where was this? this? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when I look at high school sports, because I spent a lot of time in the broadcast industry and, and we used to broadcast high school football games. And what I'm seeing is high school is the new frontier for broadcasters in terms of rights and money mm-hmm. and broadcasting games. How big of an influence is that now on sports? Well, you know, again, going back to the the video streaming and the evolution mm-hmm. of that, I think all of us probably in our lifetimes are going to see it where it would be abnormal for an event to not be video streamed. You yeah. know, that that's advancing so quickly. And with that advancement comes that much more exposure to these opportunities. And with exposure to opportunities on our seat or our, our level comes the, I guess, the request to expand what we do. You know, there are girls flag football, for example, is something that is taken off in the southeast and the NFL's putting a lot mm-hmm. of seed money into that, something that we're looking at in Tennessee. And we've actually received a formal proposal to sanction that, something that will be discussed this year. So I think just the expansion and awareness of these opportunities that are out there, not just through, you know, awareness through video streaming, but social media, I think that's definitely impacting the landscape of what we do. Yeah. I want to get back to the Blue Cross Bowl before I ask you the last question. Blue Cross Bowl, this podcast will be released the Monday that the Blue Cross Bowl starts. This will be the 24th year that Blue Cross is sponsoring it. What would you tell the average high school football fan on why they should come to the Blue Cross Bowl? Just the atmosphere. That's the atmosphere. It's just you cannot put words around what it feels like to be in a stadium that's rocking. When you got two communities that have come together, the tailgating that goes with it, you know, the what you see with the cars painted up and the you know the fans and the band and everything. It's just an experience that you can't experience unless you're actually here. If you're a football fan, you ought to give it a shot. Yeah. Before I get the last question, I do want to tell you that when I asked you to sign a release this morning, you were actually signing a 10-year contract to bring the Blue Cross Ball <laughs> back to Chattanooga. So I hope you read it. <laughs> hey, I, we love it down here. It is fantastic. It, well, you, it's, Chattanooga's been such a wonderful host. You know, Tim Morgan and the team yeah, at Chattanooga Tim does Sports, a great job, they're just it? phenomenal. Just phenomenal to work with. He's so. a passionate guy, too. Yes, He's been he on is. the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And Tim's great. I tell you, and I'll, I'll give a, a Tim plug. This is my first impression of Tim Morgan. I'll, I'll never forget this. And he and I have talked about this. My first impression of Tim Morgan when he was first hired and he first came to Chattanooga was the last year of a contract for us to be in Chattanooga for the girls soccer tournament. And Chattanooga sports was on the hook to, mm-hmm. to, to run it. But we knew we were probably going to have to leave Chattanooga because the date conflicted with the regatta. The, we, we couldn't get hotel rooms. So we knew we were probably going to have to go somewhere else. But Tim and his team pulled it off, worked so hard to make it a great event. So 
I had a lot of respect for him and, and what he does for a long time. So they've been great to work with. They've done a good job of bringing in championships to the point to where tagging the city, the city of champions. Yeah. You, know, you come here to get crowned. Absolutely. I do want to ask you the, the last question. And I want you to think about this a second. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is important for a happy life? Relationships, no doubt. Your family is the most important thing. Time spent with family is time well spent. Time spent with friends is time well spent. Time spent with colleagues to get to know and build relationships is time well spent. You know, there's there's really nothing more important here on this earth than what we're able to build in terms of relationships with the others that we have around us. Um, So, yeah, that would be what I would tell myself at 25 when I thought I needed to be maybe busier than I should have been. You know, there are things that I may have missed out on because I didn't necessarily take the time. I felt like I had to stay a little later, a little later, a little later. So, yeah. I think a lot of us can point to that. And one of the things that I'm fortunate to be involved with the Blue Cross Bowl is I've been able to develop a relationship with you. And this has been a great conversation, not just informational, but just good, fun talk. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it too, Mike. I mean, that's the best part about the job. I, I say it, you know, being in this position, whether it's been as assistant director or executive director, the best part of this job is being able to build relationships with people who are passionate about education-based athletics and kids, you know, that are involved and invested in the formative years of kids. That was, again, going back to the reason why I got into education is because people who are so inspirational and influential to me, well, there's a state full of those folks. And, you know, working with TWSAA has enabled me to meet so many and develop relationships with those folks who are in the trenches, who are making differences in the lives of kids every day. Well, you're making differences not just in the lives of kids in the TWSAA and and everyone else. Just want to remind everyone that the Blue Cross Bowl will start on Thursday, November 30th, and games, I think, at are 11, 3, and 7. So there's a ton of football. And Come on out. Come on down, as Johnny Olson used to That's say. Right. Well, thanks so much, Mark. It's great to see you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.